I'm Claire Parker. And I'm Ashley Hamilton. And, and this, this is Celebrity Memoir Book Club. This episode is brought to you by Jiminy's, the maker of sustainable dog food and treats made with cricket protein that's better for the environment using less land and water to produce. Cricket protein is a superfood that is delicious, nutritious, and easy to digest for dogs. Save 25% on your first purchase. Go to Jiminy's.com slash worm25 and use the code worm25 at checkout. And thank you to Dipsy for supporting Celebrity Memoir Book Club. Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories. If you're looking to heat things up, there is a story waiting for you. Get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash worm. And Ashley. Yes, Claire. If somebody's tuning in for the very first time in their lives, real quick, 10 seconds, what should they expect? Well, they can expect some hashtag girl employees just doing their best. <laughs> We are each other's employees and we were both positing our opinions only to be slapped down by our girl boss parts of the South. Yeah, within each one of us, there is a girl boss and a girl employee and we are just trying our best to rise to the top. Okay, you've taken it too far and you've like lost what the point of this even is. My inner girl boss is going to say you forgot what the meeting was about. Oh yeah, the meeting, the meeting, honestly, this could have been an email. (laughs) But we are reading books, sitting down every day from nine to five to get this done so that no one else has to. We are being paid in sharing our opinions. And if you don't want that from us, you can bring your business elsewhere. Beautiful. I love that. Okay. And Ashley, do you have any fun announcements? Oh my God. The announcements have never been more fun. Tomorrow, okay, 24 hours after this episode comes out, we will have already gone live for our Australian Wormies, 6 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time on April 27th. We are going to be doing a live show with Moment House where we'll be reading a Lily Collins essay on beauty. And if you guys want to watch it after the fact, it will be not live, but instant replay at momenthouse.com slash CNBC for seven days. Yes. So check it out. We love you guys. We're so excited. Just a little taste of an essay from our girl, Emily and Perry. Oh, I cannot wait for it. And even better. We have a live show in LA. We finally got it. I know it's short notice. I'm sorry, guys. It wasn't for lack of trying. <laughs> and so May 10th, Bono's birthday, we will be celebrating <laughs> with... A YouTube-only playlist. No, Ashley. (laughs) At the Virgil. Ashley, tell them you're kidding. Vote yes for kidding. Vote no for not kidding. And buy tickets either way. May 10th at the Virgil. We're going to be opening the doors at 7. The show is going to start at 8. I am so excited. I love the venue. We're going to hang out afterwards. It's going to be a really fun time. Yeah. So tickets are everywhere. They're in the show notes. They're in our Instagram bios. They're Everywhere you would think to look. They're at thevirgil.com. And Claire, if you were a celebrity writing a memoir, what would you chapter this past week? Heartbroken and angry. Uh Uh-oh. So this last week, I decided to plan my wedding. I'm not engaged, (laughs) if anyone was listening, but that's never stopped me before, okay? (laughs) A a woman with a plan is an unstoppable woman. And I just got the itch to plan my full wedding this week, and I did. And I planned my dream wedding. And then on Friday, I went 
to the restaurant where I want my wedding to be to ask about it. And they were like, we had to stop doing weddings here because the neighbors complained about the noise. Okay, well, due to the fact that you're not engaged yet, there is time to make a change. No, Ashley, you don't know it's like to have your heart set on something and have your dreams be within grasp for this was my dream for the last three days and to have it just (laughs) squashed like that. I think I was insensitive when I did say to you when you texted me heartbroken that you just found out about it. (laughs) So you'll find a different thing. No, but can I say something? Yeah. I knew what I wanted and I found it. I found it the other day, but it matched exactly what I wanted in my head for a while. And I won't find anything better. And I am sad. But I also want to take a moment to yell at the people who live in New York City and then don't like the city part. Yes. If you live in New York City, you cannot be like, oh, it has to be quiet all the time. Move to the fucking suburbs. And that's fine. You can move to the suburbs. But you cannot be in New York City and be like, the things I love about New York City are the cool restaurants and the culture. And then be like, but only when I enjoy it. Everyone else better shut the fuck up. If you think it's cool to be in a city with restaurants, you better be ready to deal with the fact that restaurants have people at them. It makes me so mad when people don't like New York City stuff. I agree with that. I had a friend who lived here for a while and she would always complain about everything. And I was like, you actually don't have to live here as much as you and I both love New York. I very much acknowledge that it's not for everyone. And I think if it's not for you, you don't have to live here. And I am not being a hypocrite. The other day, I literally was in bed and I heard this beautiful Nora Jones instrumental come up and I was like, oh my God, a free concert brought to my window. I love this. And I was like, what is that? A band outside? And I looked and sure enough, it was just a van with its windows down. You and I, there's nothing we love more in this city than when cars be the DJs. I hate DJs. I love cars. Only when they're DJing. No cars should be used for driving or causing traffic. If you're not going to contribute to the ambiance <laughs> yeah get out of here it's not about <laughs> transportation it's about vibes i like when i'm walking down the street and a car drives past and my favorite song is blaring at the too. window because it's like a surprise concert for just a moment and for just a moment you have a little bit more fun than you thought you were gonna have and i like that about new york city it's helped me learn what bugs taste in music is because sometimes when that happens she gets like sad and scared and sometimes she gets like really vibey and i'm just like oh my god so this dog loves 90s rap so i'm just saying Fuck you to the people who live in this building above a restaurant on a bustling New York City street. You've ruined Claire's wedding. The fact that you hate New York City means I can't have my dream New York City wedding. And I hate you guys. (laughs) And Ashley. Yes, Claire. How was your last week if you were a celebrity and it was a memoir and there was a title? All right. I guess I would call it. I don't know what I would call it. Maybe just Eloise takes on the world. Because um, I have a friend. Okay, so I'll back it up. I think that I am very hard on people. And I think that I ask a lot from people. And sometimes I step back and I just like watch the people in my life. And I'm just like, wow, some of you guys are deeply impressive. And I love you a lot. I have a friend who five years ago had a daughter diagnosed with a very rare genetic condition. And last week she passed away. And like watching... The way that for five years they created just the most incredible life for her and the way like the entire community of people that I've known for so long and people that I don't know just rallied around to give her just like so much love for so many years um, was really beautiful. And then just looking around last week at her funeral, at the people who, you know, my friend Jessica is running a marathon for Eloise. Um, Colleen, her mom, is like just doing everything she can to raise money for other kids who are being faced with this illness. And I think it was really just um, hard, but nice to see people who are so incredible. And they spent as much time as they could just like showing her every, as much of the world as they could. So that's where the hashtag Eloise takes on the world was born. Um, And right now people are, you know, just sharing, sharing little memories and stickers of her in different places. And it's very beautiful. So I just wanted to share that too. (laughs) 
Also, I'm going to include a link in the show notes for fundraising for mitochondrial diseases because they're very under-researched. So if you have the means and want to donate to a cause, that's one that I personally recommend. And I'm going to donate our proceeds from this episode to mitochondrial diseases, well, to the research for them, even though our sponsor this week is Jiminy's, so technically it's Bugs Money. But she doesn't have a bank account. So anyone who is dealing with a similar or honestly any different situation, but this still resonates, my heart goes out to you this week. And if um, your dream wedding has been shattered, (laughs) my heart triple goes out to you because I just can't imagine how hard that must be. I had loved that wedding for days. Okay. (laughs) I'm so, so sorry. Okay. Should we boss up into this week's episode? No, we should girl boss up because we're ladies and we boss in pink. (laughs) This week we are doing Sophia Amoroso's Not a Memoir and Not Exactly a Lean In. Hashtag girl boss. And the hashtag is important because it is part of the title and written out a lot. So Sophia Amoroso was born April 20th, 1984. She is currently 38 years old. She does make a big stink in this book about how just because she was born in 420 does not mean she smokes weed. She definitely does not. Associate her with other remnants of that day, like Hitler. (laughs) (laughs) Also, this book came out in 2014 when she was 29 years old. And then the edition we're actually reading is a 2015 edition. With a new introduction. And that would be because between the time of this book being published... In 2014. And 2015. The business failed. (laughs) And this book about how incredible her business was then became a bit irrelevant. Do you have any information on which chapter of bankruptcy she filed for? 11. Is that the only chapter? Do they just call it chapter 11 as like a bit? Or can you file for any... Like, are there many chapters of bankruptcy? I think there's like personal bankruptcy. Okay. And then I think corporate bankruptcy is chapter 11. Stylistically, first of all, I think we need to make a decision right at the beginning of this episode. So the book is called hashtag girl boss, girl boss in all caps. And throughout the book, she always says hashtag girl boss in all caps. Do we scream every time Do we get we there? Do we scream every yes. time we get there? Okay. Yeah. So like if you're driving, brace yourself. Because <laughs> we will hashtag girl boss you into an accident. <laughs> I do want to explain for those who are listening the contents of this book. It is 237 pages Mm -hmm. and there are like quotes throughout as well as photos throughout. So the 237 pages get spread out quite spready. Yeah. There are also in between each chapter, there is like a quote page a blank page, a title page, and another blank page. So the space between each chapter is four pages, and those are counted in the page count. So I would say all in all, this book is what? 180 pages? Tops. Because also the pictures and the quotes. Oh, and then there are also other mini essays from other girl boss girl bosses. <laughs> you forgot the hashtag. Hashtag girl bosses throughout. That yes. probably makes up another like 15, 20 pages. And the hashtag girl bosses that are selected to share their stories are, are grim. Creme de la creme. <laughs> Truly, this is like the ultimate relic of 2014. I've never seen anything encapsulate doom 
better. I don't think there's a single one of these businesses still afloat. She has Alexi Wasser, whose business was a blog. She has Leandra Medine, whose business was being a bitch. There's some girl whose business is doing nails, but I went to her website and she doesn't even do nails anymore. She has the former editor of Refinery29. Who had to step down. All right. So let's get into the the new forward. I almost want to read it entirely. The introduction of the introduction. A lot has changed since I wrote this book two years ago. We made record-breaking revenues. Nasty Gal grew so fast it became the Tower of Babel. Okay, can you explain that reference? Because I'm not. I literally don't know. I think it's Old Testament. This is your... Didn't you go to Hebrew school? But I didn't pay that much attention. Okay, let me look it up. A united human race in the generations following the Great Flood, speaking a single language, migrated eastward, comes to the land of Shinar. There they agreed to build a city and a tower tall enough to reach heaven. God, observing their city and tower, confounds their speech so that they can no longer understand each other and scatters them around the world. Okay. So I guess she thinks she was getting so close to God that God himself smited. Smited her company. Nasty Gal was our future spiritual leader and God had something else to say about it. Bummer. I will say this actually perfectly encapsulates the lack of accountability she takes for why nasty gal imploded it is mostly the fact that nobody else really like understood each other or her the team failed yeah it is your job i think as a ceo to build a good team yes or not be the ceo she also says my hair is long i'm an adult with braces i have three poodles most importantly i got married she got divorced two years later yeah so by the time that the tv show version of the book girl boss came out the marriage that she like brings up in the intro that was written to correct the original book from the year before was also no longer true (laughs) that's mean i'm sorry i don't mean to be mean things happen people get divorced it's like not a big deal but it's just say most importantly i got married in a book about like your business also just to be somebody who seems to like never learn a lesson ever because even here the lesson would be maybe be careful about what you put in a fucking book And then she goes on about those layoffs. We started to feel the hard times only after this book was originally put to print. I guess we'll find out about that. 100 million in revenue is a lot of money, but companies much larger have gone extinct. The concept of success is really weird. Is success building a beloved brand and business or is it how you handle yourself when it gets hard? Is success being in the right place at the right time with the right voice, skill set, team and drive to cobble it all together? Or is success figuring out how to tame the behemoth once it sprouts legs and sharp teeth? They say that when you have a kid, it feels like your heart is outside of your body. You just can't imagine sending her off to school with the threat that she might get hit by a car or bullied by some asshole. But you have to because that's what growing up is all about. That's how I feel about Nasty Gal. My whole future is in this brand. But at the end of the day, I can only give it a kiss on the head and a PB&J while standing at the front door. It's still not fully baked, but its success depends on the resilience, fortitude, and ingenuity of the team more than any one skill that I I possess. So Nasty Gale's success or failure isn't on me. It's on the team. And if they're not full of resilience, fortitude, and ingenuity, what can I do about it? Here are the nuts and the bolts of this update. At some point along the way, I realized that the people who were there at the beginning may have busted their asses and been super loyal. But for some, that loyalty was to a version of Nasty Gal as it was then. Not necessarily what it promises to be in the future. Sometimes people want to drag you into the past and are unwilling to change and stand in judgment of the decisions you make when they have less information than you do. A lot of the time, even the CEO only has about 10% of the info needed to make a good decision. That can't be true. 
Also, it really is funny to be like, sure, a lot of people worked really hard, but they were dragging me down. And then she goes on to saying, since I first wrote this book a couple of years ago, I've appointed a new CEO, a really incredible woman named Cherie Watterson, who also by 2016 had left. She kind of ends it saying, so what have I learned? What's in the future? Consider me half-baked. Just peeling back another layer of the onion every day. And she also references her next book. As I wrote in this book, the first time it was published, you shouldn't idolize anyone. And I'm telling you again, don't idolize me. I don't know shit and neither do your parents. But if I can pull off any of this, so can you. Take that and run with it. I will say the majority of this book to me reads as like a very hearty what not to do. This book is a really incredible relic of its time. I mean, she did coin the phrase girl boss. And I do think the girl boss movement is now largely seen as like a white feminist capitalist kind of fucked up movement. Yeah. Alongside of like lean in and everything that you would not like about it is spelled out in plain writing here. And it is kind of jarring to read. And it really is just this mindset of my success was basically saying people are exploited. Why don't I exploit too? Like that success is don't be taken down by the man become him. And I also think that it comes from a time when like, Finally, people were like, all right, you're saying we don't respect women. Here's a woman. We respect her. Like a lot of the reviews of this book were very much like a woman wrote a book and we like it. Are you happy now? (laughs) We know a rich woman. We think that's cool. (laughs) I do want to plug real quick. We are having TikToks at I Am Dolma on the Patreon this week. She is a venture capitalist and she has like a really incredible page where she breaks down big businesses and like startup practices and venture capitalism and she does a lot of interesting analysis on what goes wrong specifically or what goes right too yes every woman can't do business some Some girls can count some (laughs) girls are boss but she does have some really incredible like looks into what makes companies work what makes companies fail and she breaks down why they're exiting at such a price etc etc so we are gonna have her on the patreon i'm so excited and she's gonna go through like the business steps of what went wrong in not just nasty gal but kind of that millennial upstart of I feel like outdoor voices and I think Glossier is struggling right now just like there were blossoming of all of these companies that started online and then seemed to get too big too quick or something yeah so she's gonna talk about that and I'm really really excited and also just like this era of female-led companies where like the woman leading the company is such an important part of the marketing yeah it was girl bossery and we're seeing it fail now and I don't I think there's two sides to it yeah, I mean, we could literally go through all of the little chunks in this book of the the girl bosses that she has write essays. And like, those are all of these similar companies, but less successful. The wing. I mean, it's definitely like a white feminist thing that's pretending to be inclusive and community based, but is ultimately built on exploiting people. And when that's found out. Anyway, yeah. we'll have Stolman come on and talk about it. I'm so freaking excited because I think when she explains what went wrong, it sheds so much light on how disingenuous this book was because a lot of the things she specifically says she wasn't doing are now being cited in the cause of the downfall yes so this book starts with like a timeline of her life and the creation of nasty gal but it can be summed up as in about eight years i went from a broke anarchist freegan dead set on smashing the system into a millionaire businesswoman who today is as at home in the boardroom as she is in the dressing room I never intended to be a role model, but there are parts of my story and the lessons I've learned from it that I want to share. In the same way that for the past seven years, people have projected themselves into the looks I've sold through Nasty Gal, I want you to be able to use hashtag girl boss to project yourself into an awesome life where you can do whatever you want. Thank you. So this book, she's like, I'm not a role model, but let me tell you about my mistakes so to help you not, not make yours. really just that. It's like, let me tell you about my overwhelming successes to help but that's what she yours. says this book will teach you how to learn from your own mistakes and other people's like mine that's what she says okay so 
Chapter one. So you want to be a hashtag go boss. Life is short. Don't be lazy. Quote attributed to me, Sophia Amoruso. That's a likable quote. Work hard, bitch. You're going to die soon. Get so, to working. I want to read her. I love that. Life is short. Work more hours. <laughs> Do you know what they say, though, Claire? When you look back upon your life on your deathbed, are you going to say, I wish I'd hung out with my friends? I had spent more time with my family. You wish I'd gone to Five Leaves for another Aperol Spritz? No, I'm going to say, I wish I had been doing more admin. <laughs> Why didn't I send that email on a weekend? <laughs> Saturday is a construct. <laughs> the definition of a hashtag girl boss is someone who's in charge of her own life. She gets what she wants because she works for it. As a hashtag girl boss, you take control and accept responsibility. You're a fighter. You know when to throw punches and when to roll with them. Sometimes you break the rules. Sometimes you follow them, but always on your own terms. You know where you're going, but can't do it without having some fun along the way. You value honesty over perfection. You ask questions. You take your life seriously, but you don't take yourself too seriously you're going to take over the world and change it in the process you're a badass okay so just like real quick spoilers skip ahead if you don't want spoilers in this book does she exemplify any of these things she definitely took control yeah she definitely breaks the rules i don't see i would actually argue she does yes she literally breaks ebay's content guidelines okay true but i would say in the larger scheme of capitalism she like fights tooth and nail for herself yes as an individual which but is, i'm just saying ebay said don't put your myspace in your descriptions and she put her myspace in her descriptions in terms of business i don't know 100 percent that she broke the rules do you think she values honesty over perfection not to her investors <laughs> do you think she takes life seriously but not too seriously no i mean she takes herself dead seriously do you think that she took over the world and changed it in the process I think in terms of creating landfills worth of clothes, she did. Fast fashion is actively changing our world. We're toasty. I'm wearing a tank top right now because of Nasty Gal. So then she starts off, why should you listen to me? And her big thing is, don't listen to anybody. Make your own stuff. But here's my advice. And she says, someone told me along the way that I had an obligation to take Nasty Gal as far as I possibly could because I'm a role model for girls who want to do cool stuff with their own lives. I'm still not sure how I feel about that because for most of my life, I didn't even believe in the concept of role models. This to me is interesting that like right away she shirks responsibility for anybody else, which I think is deeply a product of its time. It really is like I'm here to break the glass ceiling just so that I can squeak through. Yeah, I'm here to make a Sophia Amoruso shaped hole in the glass ceiling. <laughs> and if you're bigger than a size two, good luck. Girlboss is a feminist book and Nasty Gal is a feminist company in the sense that I encourage you as a girl to be who you want and do what you want. But I'm not here calling us women with a Y and blaming men for any of my struggles along the way. I have never once in my life thought that being a girl was something I had to overcome. Okay. Yeah, her whole thing is I didn't find Nasty Gal. I created it, which actually is in line with a lot of the advice we've liked. Like Mindy Kaling said that and then Molly Shannon said that. Like, Yes, build the thing you want to build. But she then goes on to say... That girls who are reading this book and the girls who are yet to become a hashtag girl boss will not do it by whining, but by fighting. You don't get taken seriously by asking someone to take you seriously. You've got to show up and own it. If this is a man's world, who cares? I'm still really glad to be a girl in it. It's 2014, a new era of feminism where we don't have to talk about it. I don't know, but I want to pretend that it is. This is like the definition of white feminism of being like, well, it worked for me. And it turns out that if you just try hard enough, it works out. It really suggests that the problem that women have are not systemic or varying degrees for like different people. Her as a truly beautiful white woman has the least hardships of any type of woman there is. I mean, and we're going to get into it, but a lot of her success was she was an influencer before the term influence existed. She yes. was a naturally pretty girl with cool style that was able then to like garner hype. And yes. I 100% 
value in influencers work. I think what they do is like a legit thing that is hard to do. But I don't necessarily think being a good influencer or having cool style or being an art director can't necessarily like run the back end of a major corporation. Yeah, that's why they don't usually. It's just so funny how like right out the gate, she's like, listen, the biggest problem women face is that they're always whining about being women. Have you thought about trying? (laughs) And then she goes into her theories on capitalism, which is one of my favorite strings throughout the book and she refers to it as her red string theory i entered adulthood believing that capitalism was a scam but i've found instead that it's kind of an alchemy you combine hard work creativity and self-determination and things start to happen and once you start to understand that alchemy or even just recognize it you can begin to see the world in a whole different way capitalism sucks until you realize how to beat it I used to like hate the idea of rich people until I became rich. And I was like, wait a minute. Maybe it is a perfect system that rewards exactly who deserves to be rewarded. (laughs) Chapter two, how I became a hashtag girl boss. The early days, hernias, haggling, and the sad bunny. So this is a story that we get in the Netflix television show, Girl Boss, which is just that she was living in San Francisco, a very free lifestyle. And then she got a hernia. And so she needed health insurance. Okay. (laughs) She says in this book that you could see her hernia through her pants. What does that mean? I don't... A hernia is... It's like a little pokey dot. Isn't it your butt? <laughs> I don't think it has to be in your butt. I think it can be like in your side. It sounds like hers was in her butt. Her butthole was so protruded that it protruded. <laughs> like bug. Bug is one of the pokiest out buttholes I've ever seen. Don't talk about my dog's butthole on the podcast. I don't call Bug a girl boss. Bug's never made a fucking dollar in her life. Bug hates capitalism. Anyway, the story that she starts with was basically she got a hernia, so she needed insurance. So she got this job working as a security guard at an art school, just checking IDs. But it got her insurance. She was there for 60 days, which is how long it took for her to get this insurance, at which point she immediately quit. And it was such a boring job that she had time to think. Think. And in her thinking, she thought, I'm going to start an eBay store where I'm going to sell cool vintage stuff that I find. So she had been fucking around on the internet. And so she started on MySpace and seeing these other girls do it. And she was inspired to do it. She was always like a vintage lover and a thrift store lover. So she just was like, you know what? I'm going to start selling my own stuff. And she started this store. It's called Nasty Gal. Nasty Gal Vintage. And she says, I was an expert scavenger. The first thing I did was buy a book, starting an eBay business for dummies, which taught me how to set up my store. She really is like, listen, I I worked hard. I read one book and it taught me everything I needed to know. And she goes into her history of loving vintage. She says, as a teenager, I loved vintage. My mom thought that was so gross. All my mom wanted was to buy me new clothes. But I said, no, I want vintage clothes. And it really is like, man, your life sounds so hard. (laughs) With the new store, I took thrifting to a whole new level. On Craigslist, I found a theater company that was going out of business and negotiated a great deal for a carload of vintage. I threw some of my own pieces into that lot of wool capes and gun sacks dresses. And suddenly I had merchandise. So she just starts selling things on eBay and she is good at it. And this is where I do want to give her a lot of credit. She says about herself, with my touch, a plus size anorak became come de garçon and ski pants became Balenciaga. And I do think she had an eye for styling. She had her pretty friends come and model and she herself is like gorgeous. And I'll have to be honest. I read this book and I was like, this girl sucks. But then I went to her Instagram and I was like, wow, but I do want the pants she's wearing right now. Right. She's an influencer and she's a great influencer. And so she started making a ton of money on eBay because she would take photos of herself in these clothes and the auctions would go crazy. And then she's built a name for herself for having like cool clothes on eBay. Yeah. And she did learn from her mistakes. She talks about finding the pieces that worked and finding more pieces similar to that and pieces that don't sell well. She would just not work with those pieces again. Just like really 
stores 101 but yeah she's like listen i was doing advanced level market research if something didn't sell i didn't buy it again and i was like genius i also want to say that like she does really hype up her hard work here and some of it is good like some of it she was talking about how she wrote very detailed styling tips in the product descriptions she really went above and beyond in terms of just ebay selling but i mean she really gives herself a lot of credit She's like, listen, I've never worked harder than when I had an eBay auction. You had to be on time every week and things had to be prepared. And I'm just like, yeah, this is just like the nuts and bolts of a job. But I don't doubt that you did do it. And I do think people do underestimate how much showing up on time consistently is a big chunk of it. I mean, I think that she was doing more than it sounds like she was doing if someone else described it. But she was definitely doing less than it sounds like she's doing when she describes it. I mean, I, I do believe that she like worked hard and she was good at what she did. I think she like obviously ran a super successful eBay store. But then the funny part comes in when she's like, in retrospect, I was probably the worst customer at the thrift store because not only was I sneaky, but I also haggled. This sweater has a hole in it, I'd say, after marching up to the counter. Can I get 10% off? Even if it was only a matter of 50 cents, it was worth it to me. Every cent counted. Then this paragraph comes right after a paragraph where she's like one time I found two Chanel jackets for $10 each and I sold them each for over $1,500 I didn't know what a gross margin was but I knew I was onto something when I say she's like oh you can exploit things that's what she's doing for her to be haggling over 10 cents and then making a margin of $1,500 also in this situation it's like okay you're sticking it to big thrift store congratulations she really is like I had to hustle and I had to help myself but it's also like it's not like she was getting by on sense. She was making a killing doing this. She also, the other eBay sellers hated her. There was a lot of eBay drama. She eventually got kicked off eBay, but not until right when she was about to launch her own site, nastygalvintage.com. So in 2006, 2007, she moves out to the suburbs and her business becomes her life. I do want to give her credit. She did work very hard at it. And she obviously had a knack for it and it was very successful. And it, it grows and grows and grows. And she becomes one of the most successful eBay stores in her vertical. Yes. But I think what's missing here is the lack of nuance that working a job for someone else is extremely different than working for yourself. And the amount of credit she wants for being like, look how hard I worked when nobody was even watching. And I'm like, well, yeah, nobody was watching, but you were reaping 100% of the benefit. Right. Even with no manager to give me a gold star, it was important to do my best. Who cares if a tree falls in a forest and no one hears it? The tree still falls. If you believe what you're doing will have positive results, it will, even if it's not immediately obvious. But it was obvious to yourself from the beginning you were pocketing all of that money. Yeah, and it was immediately obvious. She says right away at the gate she starts making like $2,500 every auction, which is more in a week than she'd ever made in a month. I was doing all this work without any credit. And I was like, well, you were getting credit. The credit was money. Money was the credit. <laughs> so she talks about starting to build the business. I, I do, again, want to give her credit. She says, and though you'll rarely hear me advocate for giving anything away for free, this realization was one of the most profound and welcome ones I've had with the business. I always knew that Nasty Gal Vintage was about more than just selling stuff, but this proved it. What we were really doing was helping girls to look and feel awesome before they left the house. And this is about how she started putting styling tips in with all of her outfits. And that is what helped make her business come alive is because she wasn't just selling a shirt on a mannequin. She was, was like a lifestyle. Yeah. Anyway, so she hires her friend Christina as her first employee. She says, for the first year, I paid her more than I was paying myself. She haggled from $14 an hour to 16 both of which were more than I'd ever been paid. And in the back of my head, I was worried about whether I'd be able to keep her busy, but she was worth that and more. Oh, and then this is where she points out on her second week, she got so sick on her way in that she threw up in her car while driving and just kept right on, finally making her way to work. In she came, packed a bunch of orders, drove to the post office and shipped them, and then went back home and crawled into bed. Christina is still with me today. 
If business is war, I always think that's the kind of hashtag girl boss I want with me in the trenches. <sighs> I don't know. I feel like if I always imagine that if we were ever hired people, I'm so excited to be nice to them and be like, hey, if you're sick, don't throwing up. Come. <laughs> At the end of the day, all we're fucking doing is making a podcast. You're allowed to take a day and drink some ginger ale. The podcast isn't nobody's going to die I except know. for maybe you. So just be healthy. I mean, you know that I'm very scarred from a lot of my office experiences. And if we ever have an employee, I have like a really I have a real laundry list of non-negotiables, including mandatory lunch. <laughs> So as the company grows, they move off eBay. Well, she gets kicked off eBay, but it's right as she's about to launch her own site anyway. And then she says, after two years of selling exclusively vintage, I wanted to give our customer more of what she wanted. We were already good at curating ultra memorable editorial vintage pieces for her. So why not curate new things as well? I was getting tired of the vintage schlep selling out week after week with no future of taking a vacation in sight. They go to a trade show and they start talking to other brands and they start carrying other brands on the site. Specifically, Jeffrey Campbell and Sam Edelman and Rojas are like their first couple of brands. I will say, I like think that this was a smart expansion. Me too. It was, at the end of the day, like work smarter, not harder. She won't admit that this was her like not wanting to do the hands-on work anymore. Well, she did say, I would like to be able to take a vacation. Yeah. She does literally say that. But she like paints it as this way of this is what like made sense for her for our customer and it's like no it's what makes sense for you that's okay (laughs) and then she is still feeding her models in hamburgers we started slowly we purchased some stuff from a brand called Rojas I remember it distinctly our first delivery was a red and black plaid trapeze dress with a shirt collar and a button-down front I shot it on Nita, my five foot nine Thai dream girl of a model who had been the star of an of the eBay store, a New Orleans refugee. She was a mere 16 when she began modeling for me, eventually graduating from high school while continuing to be paid in hamburgers and $20 bills. The dress sold out and we reordered it. Congratulations. You found a refugee willing to work for food. <laughs> Just the idea that in the same sense as you could be like, we were expanding to doing hundreds of thousands of dollars in product. Can you believe that I was still paying this 16 year old girl the same I'd been paying her when I made no money. Girl boss. Hashtag girl boss. We love to exploit. We love to keep people down. We love to like not let them grow with us. So then begins the rapid expansion of very quickly. They're doing like a million dollars a year in revenue. She starts her own website, nastygal.com. And then she immediately just starts growing and they have to keep adding people and they open a store in San Francisco. And within two years, they've grown twice. They just keep growing out of their spaces. And so they moved to L.A. 2010. Also, she mentions at this point that one of her fun things she did was rent a bounce house for the office so that people could send some orders and then bounce. Every time she does something fun, she mentions it very specifically. But so she hires this whole team, including Frank, who had been the CEO of Nordstrom's online and catalog business and Land's End. So they are at this point where people are figuring out that this is the next big thing. They are getting like a pretty big team. She has this consultant, Dana Freed, who had been the CEO and CFO of Taryn Rose Shoes. And they're like building a business together and they're growing 700% year to year, which is huge. And she says to everyone's surprise, but mine, we outgrew our Emeryville warehouse in just one short year. By this time I was getting used to the growth. It didn't make it any easier, but at least I could see around the corner, even if just a little, I stopped listening to the folks with experience, even Dana, because they hadn't seen the magnitude of growth we were experiencing in the fall of 2010. They end up moving to LA. And I just think like that line right there, I wasn't listening to anybody, even the people who knew what they were talking about. I was smarter than them. Sometimes like unbridled growth isn't great. No. And I think somebody with experience would actually know that. (laughs) I agree. So then we get into a retrospective on some of her shittiest jobs that she had prior to turning 
18. And she mentions how high school and school just like was never really her thing. She dropped out and just started working at Subway and a bunch of different places. She says, as a teenager and into my early 20s, I thought that I would never embrace capitalism, much less be a public champion for it. I was certain that I'd live my years trying to make a career as a photographer, getting by holding jobs because I had to, not because I wanted to. I'm not that cynical anymore. I've learned that it's typically the larger companies out there that provide the template for employees to chart a path for themselves and to continue to develop in their own respective fields as well as in their management skills. That's so funny. Listen. I see why you think capitalism is bad, but have you ever thought about how working for the man could help you achieve your dreams? I do think that there were like multiple lawsuits against Nasty Gal for firing women when they get pregnant. Yeah. So she talks about all these shitty jobs. And first is she worked at Subway, which is something that she has to come back to multiple times throughout the book. Because when you're 29 writing a book about all the shitty jobs you had that you only had until you were 21... It's limited. (laughs) So she worked at Subway for six months, she claims. I don't even remember why I quit. But then my next job was working at Borders. And she goes, I really enjoyed this job. Borders put their staff through a pretty major training program, which despite my anti-corporate leanings at this point in my life, I found highly valuable and still do. For example, they taught me to say yes instead of sure or let me check instead of I don't know. She goes, even if it's not your fault, you have to apologize. They've been disappointed by the company you work for, and it's your job to empathize with them. Though you may be paid minimum wage to the customers, you are the face of the entire company. It's this kind of accountability that gets people raises, promotions, and eventually careers. I have two (laughs) things I love about that. One is the way that she's like telling her employees, it doesn't matter how little you get paid, you better put your fucking face on the line for this company. And two, the idea that she's, I don't want to say she's so unqualified to run a business, but like is something you were taught at Borders at 17 is how you're running your like 350 employee company now that's a that's a bad sign you, that's a really bad sign you should have got a second training <laughs> so she works on and off at companies for like two weeks she's like i worked at this plant store for two weeks and then i went and worked as a landscaper for two weeks she worked as a waiter for two weeks she quits every job she has and she says what all these jobs taught me is that you have to be willing to tolerate some shit you don't like at least for a little while this is what my parents generation would call character building but i prefer to call it hashtag go boss training I didn't expect to love any of these jobs, but I learned a lot because I worked so hard and grew to love things about them. Even though I always worked hard as an employee, all of these jobs still only used about 15% of my brain. And each job I loved eventually grew boring. No thanks. At this point in my life, in my litany of shitty jobs, I never reaped what I sown. And that I eventually learned is the only way I can stay engaged. I don't really know what that means because then the very next chapter she goes, when I got my job at the Art University of San Francisco, I quite literally did nothing. And that was the entire reason I took the job. Yeah, I don't know. And then she also explains what I did before starting Nasty Gal gave me some perspective and a diversity of experience, which for me was as important as everything that I've done since. It took me a while to recognize this, though, because I wanted a shoots and ladders experience with only ladders and no shoots. I was looking for something that would pay me to do nothing and still get ahead in life. And that, my friends, just does not exist unless you're Paris Hilton, who I'm still not sure is actually ahead in any way, especially when it comes to fashion. There's like just so much to unpack in that sentence before you even get to the random swipe at Paris Hilton. For her to be like, listen, you have to fail sometimes before you can rise. And every rise comes with more little failures along the way. Where? What failures until the big failure? I think she had like many, many ladders and then one big shoot. Like were her failures getting fired from borders? Because... She never tried at anything until she did Nasty Gal. And then that was just exponential success until it wasn't anymore. So here she's saying, I got bored and quit. 
And then later she'll be like, I got bored and quit. And then she says, the most important thing you can learn at a job is how to not be bored. Being bored is not a girl boss's natural state. You have to learn how to be able to like work hard no matter what, if you like it or not. But then later she goes, I always had issues doing things that made me bored, which has made nasty gal the only thing I'm capable of doing. So I don't know. It's just like the way that she's also like, I couldn't do those jobs because they were beneath me. But also then she's like, but the problem with this generation is they're not willing to do anything beneath them. You can't just start and expect to get to do everything you want to do. Anyway, at 22, I started my own company and it's worth hundreds of millions of dollars because I didn't like doing anything else. What are you saying? I would love to have a conclusion sentence in here that wraps up any of those things into like one singular thought. What all of these jobs taught me is you have to be willing to tolerate some shit you don't like, at least for a while. She didn't really tolerate anything in her whole life. I'm very confused. And then also this idea of being like, nasty gal is the only thing I'm capable of doing is very much that white privilege thing of being like, that's not true. I mean, you were capable of working at Subway. You were capable of working at Borders. You just didn't want to. And you didn't have to because you have privilege. And then she's like, it's crazy. Even though I got fired or quit from every job within a few months, I never had a problem getting hired at something different. She's constantly getting hired. And I'm like, that is privilege to be able to like walk into a store with no credibility to your name and know that no matter what happens, you will be able to be hired again. Yeah. To not cherish your job because you're not afraid of what will happen to you if you're unemployed. Yeah. To her being unemployed is very much like a choice that she can opt in and opt out of. And for her to think that that's everybody's experience is stupid stupid so she ends it with as an employer i see this often from new fresh hires out of college who expect to immediately get an awesome job that satisfies all of their super pure creative urges and pays well hey that's a great goal but like everything you've got to work for what you want i see so many resumes of people who interned at 20 million amazing places that's great i'm glad you were able to explore your interests and gain exposure but if you've been interning for five years to me it seems as though you don't need to work i respect people who are willing to just roll up their sleeves and get the job done even if it's a shitty one trust me there ain't no shame in that game and I can make one hell of a tuna sandwich to prove it I don't really know what this paragraph's about no I understand initially and I actually agree with this you don't get to go into a job and do the coolest part of it it is ridiculous to think that like oh I want to be in fashion so I'm spend all of my time just designing or something like most people don't get to do that right I will say she did kind of get to do that she did get to do that like she didn't have to work in merchandising as like an assistant she didn't have to work her way up in the fashion business learning the ins and outs of how inventory and styling and all of these different fields work together. And I will say that that shows in The Failure of Nasty Gal. There are a lot of things in this book where I'm like, oh, that's your problem is you have no understanding of this part of your own business. But then the thing that makes me confused here is when she goes, when I see people that have interned at 20 million amazing places, that's great. I'm glad you're able to do that. But if you've been interning for five years, it seems to me that you don't need to work. I understand 100% like critiquing the culture of internships in this country like this I do is think, not the critique on the culture of internships coming I, from a woman who like quit every fucking job after 14 minutes I, I just also don't understand what it's doing in this paragraph I do think there's a difference between somebody who's had a lot of internships and somebody who she's like you just want to come and show up and do whatever you want like I don't understand what those have to do with each other it feels very mumble jumbled she just talks about her experience in school and how quote she felt alienated she hated the suburbs which were quote a sterile environment. And then she said, quote, high school was all bimbos and jocks. She was different. She She's was so basic. She was grunge in the 90s. And I don't think you understand. Nobody else was like that. It's so funny to be like, I was misunderstood in high school. Nobody got me. I had to do my own thing. Like, be more basic, boss. So then we get to chapter four. Shoplifting and hitchhiking saved my life. 
And it's about how she spent a year of her life as a freegan living with like anarchists in the woods and just stealing everything. I could have irreparably messed up my future. It's a miracle. And through no fault of my own that I didn't. I mean, it's pretty much because you're pretty and white. Yeah. She's like, it's crazy how good I was at shoplifting. Nobody ever suspected me. And I'm like, yes. Yeah. Of course. And so she lives a year dumpster diving for food. She's also making most of her money. She'll steal books from bookstores and then sell them on Amazon for cheaper than anybody else. And that's how she pays rent. I hitchhiked to an earth first rendezvous in the middle of the forest where I ate magic mushrooms and watched people set a pentagram made of sticks on fire. I refused to buy new wood, too angry with capitalism's disregard for sustainability. I furnished my place with a mix of sidewalk freebies and lifted merch instead. I mean, it's very ironic that she went on to found a fast fashion company. Here's some irony for you. That's the quote from the book. The first thing I ever sold online was stolen. At this point, I was palling around with full-time bona fide anarchists. They were tree sitters, activists, naturalists, hobos, radical publishers, thieves, scam artists, and one person who refused to accept gender, classifying him or herself Z instead of he or she. So then she talks about like how she was living off of stealing. And she goes, in my mind at the time, I wasn't doing anything wrong because I was stealing from corporations and not people. Hashtag girl boss. That's our name. Hashtag girl boss. This is where I call bullshit on myself. I was stealing from people. I took an inspiring quote from Chief Seattle. But how can you buy or sell the sky, the land? If we do not own the freshness of the air and the sparkle of the water, how can you buy them? And twisted it to justify my own purpose. Nobody really owns anything, I thought. I had deep discussions about how I don't believe in property. It was the world, not my shoplifting that was really messed up. And then she like goes on to talk about how she stole, but she never like comes back to explain why she was stealing from people and not corporations. Cause she was stealing from like Walmart. Yeah. And I do honestly want to know like, okay, why, why is Walmart a person? Why do you see Walmart as a person now? Because now she's a, a person business too. <laughs> she says, I thought that corporations were just faceless organizations. And then I had a corporation and I thought when I look in the mirror, I see my corporation. <laughs> so that corporation must see me. <laughs> But it really is something that she's like, can you believe I thought that? And then I'm like, well, explain to me why you don't think that now. Yeah. Explain to me why that's not true. She doesn't get back to that. She does go on to say that she eventually gets caught shoplifting like a whole cart full of stuff and she runs, but eventually goes back and turns herself in and she doesn't suffer any repercussions except for they make her pay for all the things she tried to steal. She ends up scot-free and then she has this realization. She says... This part of my life was probably the ultimate low. I had an alcoholic boyfriend and I frequently found myself in trashy situations like this one. I thought to myself, this kind of stuff doesn't happen to me, except that it did. And it was. i had always wanted to do something awesome. And instead, I was just racking up a soap opera's worth of skanky experiences. That is just some real like privileged thought process to be like, I had inserted myself into this non-traditional lifestyle. And now that I realized it's actually kind of gross, I don't want it. Yeah, I was stealing for fun. That's trash. Like, I mean, listen, I'm not saying like, oh, go steal. But there is something very, you said she was like cosplaying poverty and she really was. Yeah, she really was. I do think she has no sense that some of these people actually like had a principle they were standing by. She is one of the least principled people I've ever met. She has no sense of internal ethics or like she's not driven by anything inside of her. No, except money. (laughs) Well, now, I mean, she's the definition of money changer. So, oh my God. She says, yeah. Being from the suburbs, I'd always equated comfort with ennui and possessions with materialism. But I was beginning to learn that that wasn't necessarily the case. Living a comfortable life can allow you the psychic space needed to focus on the other bigger things. And when you treat your possessions as emblems of your hard work, they inherit a meaning that transcends the objects themselves. 
Adulthood was a lot more nuanced than I had imagined it to be. And by the age 21, I was already outgrowing the life that I thought that I wanted. I was starting to realize that I liked and wanted nice things. And if stealing wasn't going to enable me to get them, I was going to have to try something almost too conventional for me, getting another job. Can you imagine being like, listen, I thought that anarchy was cool until I realized you couldn't have stuff. <laughs> Eventually, I got sick of listening to my friends whine about living in poverty while refusing to get a job. And then she's like, I always dragged my feet over the mundane little things in life. They made life seem like a big hamster wheel. I hated watching the money disappear each month when I paid the bills. I hated cleaning and doing laundry and having to stop to put gas in the car. So renting a house in Los Angeles with a backyard of my own washing machine was like being a, in a really happy musical. Having someone to help me clean the house makes me feel like I'm living in a fairy tale. Suddenly, you find yourself with yesterday's underwear clean and folded and the noise of that squeaky hamster wheel fading in the background. And somebody, she's like, actually, life doesn't suck when you're rich. A lot of people think that capitalism is the enemy, but have you tried doing it good? Yeah. Capitalism sucks when you're losing, but have you tried winning? It's actually so fun when you're on the other side of it and you get to pay someone to clean your stuff instead of having to clean it yourself. <laughs> I don't know how capitalism's going for that person, but <laughs> for me, it's awesome. And then we get to a chapter on managing your finances. Money looks better in the bank than on your feet. It's shocking how fast it all happened. Nassigal went from doing 150000 a year to doing 150000 a day. And now we do 150000 over lunch. 150000 over lunch. I order a lot of fucking lunch, baby. <laughs> no, I order a lot of lunch. And then you tell me that you don't want any lunch. And then you take 150,000 bites of my lunch. <laughs> what are you, my fucking boyfriend? <laughs> it's suspicious to me that you and my boyfriend would have the same complaint about me. How'd you guys figure that one out together? <laughs> anyway, so she goes, my adopted political ideals had let me approach money with an elevated level of distaste. She hates money. I saw it as a materialistic pursuit for materialistic people. But what I have realized over time is that in many ways, money spells freedom. Okay. So it's actually good to want money, she's saying. Well, no, no, no. What she's saying is when you want money, you're materialistic. But when I want money, it's just for my freedom. And can I tell you something? Her freedom actually is worth like hundreds of millions of dollars. Our freedom is worth like 55k if i want money it's frivolous and if she wants money it's because her house has to get cleaned somehow so i do want to talk about how she said she was doing 28 million dollars in revenue without borrowing a dime and i do think that this is true that women because they get less money from venture capitalists and nobody believes in them often bootstrap a lot more and do have like more profitable companies out the gate and as much as we hate leandra and everybody the amount of women who have been able to create profitable businesses without ever taking on debt whereas men will take on like a hundred million dollars of debt and then be like i didn't think i needed to turn a profit but leandra's a really bad example i don't know that she's any worse than like the WeWork guy i think most people starting companies are rich yeah to give women some credit, women are expected to be the face of their company in a way that a man never is. Right, right, right. But I would rather give credit to like Whitney Wolfhurt or whoever the Bumble girl is or someone like that who like built an actual company, whereas Leandra built a company that like never really. Lauren Wolfhurt or whatever was also like a rich girl from SMU. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm saying if we're going to give credit to like a random rich girl, let's give it to one who like built something. I guess I'm only saying Leandra because we also read her book. That's true. <laughs> Learning how to manage your money is one of the most important things you'll ever do. Being in a good spot financially can open up so many doors. That's good advice. Being in a bad spot can slam them in your face. Also true. <laughs> so then she tells a story about how she has really bad credit because one time she bought a Victoria's Secret bra with a Victoria's Secret credit card that she was misled into buying. She thought, she thought she, it was a points program. And then because she moved so much because I guess she was like living in the trees. Can I say something? Anything. This is literally your podcast. <laughs> All money is a points program. <laughs> 
None of it's real. It's little gold stars that go on your credit card. You get rewards for certain spendings, minuses for other activities. It's all just a point system. I like don't know that you're wrong. The thing is like I do think like money is made up, right? But I don't know that you know why. You buy houses as a, a threshold reward. You hit a certain number of points. You're eligible for house. But you have to spend more points. <laughs> anyway, so she was misled into buying a Victoria's Secret card because she thought it was a points program. And then that one bra purchase torched her entire credit because she never paid it off. She kept on calling it this measly A cup as if if she had like bazungas, it would have been more worthwhile. <laughs> She's like, if I had been buying double D's, I understand them like fucking me over. But because I just had these tiny, tiny little bee stings, how dare you count that against me? Can I ask a question about her thinking it's a reward system? So when she swiped the Victoria's Secret credit card, like she must have realized that no money was transferred from her bank account or her pocket. So who does she think paid for the bra? This is why I call bullshit on this story. She says this one purchase tanked her entire credit. I do believe she was like tricked into getting a credit card and then maybe didn't understand how much debt she was putting herself into or something and like doesn't want to admit that. I do know the credit goes up. Okay, anyway, let's move on to the first actually batshit story in the whole book. Jesus Christ. Okay, so when Nasty Girl first opened, I had little to no overhead aside from my sweat, tears, and blood. In 2010, after Nasty Girl moved off of eBay and was a full-fledged business, I had almost $1 million in cash in the bank. Another big no-no is increasing your spending as soon as your income increases. I've always been careful to avoid that pitfall. And also, we had been expanding, so I got everyone desks. Finally, we felt like everyone deserved desks. She also had a Herman Miller Aeron chair in her office. To her, it was a rite of passage, but I'd bought my chair with my money, not Nasty Gals. Then she gets into a story about how she took a vacation in 2011, her first vacation since launching Nasty Gal. She went to Hawaii by herself. When she comes back... Her office manager had bought everyone in the office these Herman Miller Aeron chairs. And she felt that it sent the wrong message to the company if they preach frugality while bawling out on 12 grand worth of chairs. You can't act like you've arrived when you've only just received the invitation. We couldn't return the Aeron chairs, but after we were settled in our new LA offices, our poor office manager, Francis, spent six months selling them on Craigslist. What? In order to send a message of you bitches don't deserve shit... She lost money on these chairs and then also lost money making her office manager spend time selling the chairs. For what? Just so no one could be comfortable? To like make the point that those people were below her. This is insane. I just like don't think that that's the message you want to send your employees. Not just I said no to the chairs, but that I'm going to make a point of saying you're not allowed to have something that was already bought. In this chapter about how money is important and you need to be careful with your money, she's like, I will take a loss to prove my point. So then, and then she says, if you're tempted to buy something, just imagine those new shoes were actually made out of crisp $20 bills. Do those $20 bills look good getting dirty on the sidewalk? No, they do not. That's because money looks better in the bank than on your feet. She runs a company that sells shoes for $20, honestly. It is funny to be like, don't be an idiot and spend money. Anyway, (laughs) nastygal.com. So then her next piece of advice is the art of the ask. And she says, always ask for more. But then she gives you all this advice for how to ask for a raise. But then she goes, you do not automatically deserve a raise just because you've been somewhere for a certain amount of time. But if you can articulate the reasons why you deserve a pay increase, then schedule time to meet with your boss and let her know in advance so you could talk about it. I want to say, I do believe you deserve a raise for being somewhere in an amount of time. One, just like a cost of living 
I mean, I literally drove a relationship with a company that I did kind of hate into the ground demanding a raise and they wouldn't give it to me. But I first just wanted a cost of living raise because I'd been there for a year and I hadn't gotten a raise. I'd also taken on two other jobs that weren't mine that were above my initial starting job. And I wanted a raise for like doing those and they wouldn't give it like they would not give me a raise. And they kept on saying like later, later, later. And eventually we just like ruined. I not we I guess we you you played a part. <laughs> we shit talked them on a podcast and then they like fired me. <sighs> Whatever. I will say this simply ask for a raise advice is wrong and this but you also don't ever deserve one really rung true I was like yes you are part of this millennial boss generation that was denying me my raise too (laughs) just the irony of talking about how quickly your company is growing it cannot keep up with its own office space year after year is growing 700 times and then she also will get into it later she has all these chapters about how because it's still operating like a startup people take on so much more than their job that people will stay till 4 a.m helping out with the warehouse people are doing so much more than they were hired to do and then to say in one year, we grew 700%. But just because you've been here for one year doesn't mean you deserve a raise, even though the company is growing in part due to the hard work of everybody who's taken on more than their fair share or more than they're getting paid to do as it is, is like crazy to me. Also, if you do not get a cost of living raise, you are actually making less than you were the year before because of inflation. Yes. So then she goes, put that money to work. And she talks about how as soon as she started making money, she didn't buy herself a fancy car. She bought herself a Nissan Murano. And then she bought herself a fancy car. She bought herself a Porsche, the next car. Listen, Pencils out. Another theory. (laughs) Cars are meant to be battered. (laughs) Spending a lot of money on a car is a very bad idea because then you're all anxious about where you park it. Okay. My, my dad one time got a nice car and he would park all the way at the back of the parking lot, but it was for him because he didn't want to get dings on the side of his car. Insane. Insane. How dare he? Crazy. The doors, they put them there so that that's what gets dinged and it's not your body. (laughs) Okay. I'm about to say the thing about Sofia Amoruso that I like the most. Magic. Stop. Let me say it. I'm a member of the Magic Castle, which is a private magician's club housed in an old Victorian mansion in the Hollywood Hills. Listen, bitches, we are coming to L.A. ASAP, as we said at the beginning of the episode. Sophia Amoruso, if you can get us into the Magic Castle, we'll delete this episode. Or if a worm can get us into the (laughs) Magic Castle, I will give you a kiss on the cheek. Whoever's first. First bitter. And she does believe in magic, but she doesn't believe in luck. Yeah. Which I think is a very interesting distinction. She gets very angry when people suggest that part of why she's so successful is luck, which here's the thing. I understand it is demeaning. I also do think that she acknowledges no advantage or privilege she has in the world. And for that, I'm like, Sophia Maruso, your luck bid has been denied. I do think it can be both. You can say I had a lot of advantages in this life and I did work very hard. Well, that's the thing is I, I truly don't think she understands that she had advantages. She was like, I was living out of dumpsters. <laughs> she basically believes in manifestation, but she calls it magic. But it was 2014. So she didn't know that word yet. She has it in here. Anyway, so she does have like a couple little magic-y things that I kind of like. She talks about sigils, which are abstract words or symbols you create and embed within your wishes. She says to start with a desire and create a little sigil acknowledging that desire and use it in everyday life to continue embedding it into your subconscious. Like she takes her goals and makes them passwords to things. And I kind of like that. She says like when you keep on typing your goals out every single day to get into websites, you have to type out your little goal number or something I think that that probably does help to continue to remind you of what you're working for. And then she also has a little thing about bad manifestation where she says that when you're thinking about things that upset you, like people you're jealous of or people you don't like, you are like giving them power. And so the example she gives is her ex-boyfriend had an ex-girlfriend that she obsessed over and like checked all of her social media all the time and was always stalking her on MySpace and Facebook. And then one time they were all at a party together 
And the ex came over and like hugged her boyfriend and they ended up getting into a fist fight. And she was like, I did manifest that fight by like being so angry about everything she did. That she the like summonsed that girl to the party. And not only that, but when the girl came over, she said, aren't you too old to be here? Which started a fight, but she only said something so mean because she had projected all this negativity onto the ex-girlfriend. Anyway, she does break up this chapter that I actually find kind of nice with a fucking asshole comment. She talks about all of the things in her past that have helped her in her current situation, in her current position. She says, my interest in photography gave me an advantage over other sellers who didn't care about lighting or composition. My days of being the tardy employee at the record store gave me a cultural and musical understanding that was more unique than if I had just listened to garbagey pop on the radio my entire life. Okay, Sophia, you're so cool and unique and great. She always has to go out of the way to be like, everything works because I'm unique and amazing. This next chapter where she goes, though I believe in magic, I'm not a hippie dippy. I generally abhor people who are a poor, abhor. You lived in the trees with them. I remember I had a hippie friend once who whispered, the cat can sense the stillness in my soul. And all I could think was the cat is really going to sense it if I barf because you sense the self-important. Cats can sense your soul. I do believe that. That's why I'm scared of them. If you have a pet, they do get your entity. They do understand you. And I don't think that that's that crazy of a sentence. And also, I think it's a really mean thing to say about your friend that like she was too self-important and you abhor her. What? Because you're rich now. The money changed you, Sophia. She says, before you start to think you just got lucky, remember, it's magic and you made it yourself. So then she has, I am the anti-fashion. And she starts off about being like, I am an introvert and I started my whole company because I didn't want to have to have a job where I talk to people. And now ironically, I'm a CEO who talks for a living. I know. She says that it's hard for her to get up and talk in front of people. She says, who am I to hold all these people captive while I blather and make bad jokes? Oh, shit. I'm the boss. That too. Some people become CEOs for this exact reason because they like to be in the spotlight. But it doesn't come naturally to me. And I don't know that it ever will. Trust me, it will. I have to say, to hate, say you hate being in the spotlight in the book you wrote about yourself that you then got turned into a TV show. Methinks you don't hate being in the spotlight. And then you start a podcast and a media company. There's a certain freedom to being an outsider. She's obsessed with saying that she's different than everybody. She's prettier than most people. Yeah, I have to give different. that to her. And then she said, for years, I prided myself on being anonymous and an expert at the art of avoiding human interaction. But it's still weird. I'm not complaining. This is just all stuff that I'm still getting used to. For example, it's weird to go through life being congratulated on a daily basis. In a single year, I had a profile in Forbes and was on the cover of Entrepreneur, listed in CNN Money's 40 Under 40, Inc.com's 30 Under 30, and named by Inc. Magazine as the fastest growing retailer in the country. Our office has consumed a whole lot of champagne, but how many bottles can you pop? Remember, hashtag girl boss. It's not cool to get drunk on your own success. I say no. Celebrate the little things. Also, I'm sorry. if you, You don't have to celebrate all of these publicly. Like you don't have to have everyone in your office drink with you and you don't have to list them out in your book if you don't like them. So then we're on chapter eight on hiring, staying employed and firing. This is for all the other hashtag girl bosses who need a little bit of help firing people because you know how most 29 year olds are firing people. She gives a section on each on hiring. She says, I was always able to get the job, although keeping it was sometimes a different story. She gives like some tips for cover letters that are truly the most basic tips I've ever read. Yeah, make your cover letter interesting. Show how you will help the company grow. She's so funny. I hate it when people write a cover letter where they say, working at this job will fulfill my interest and my passion. She goes, I don't know you. I don't care about helping you. You tell me how you'll help my company. And I'm like, exactly. And then she's like, don't do typos. Duh. And then the resume. She says, make sure the shit you've accomplished is reflected on your resume. Helpful. The interview, don't blow it. Don't go in and say something rude. 
don't cross your arms. And she says, always wear a bra. She said people come into a company like Nasty Gal and think they don't have to wear a bra. And it's like, I don't know, Sophia, wearing a bra cost you your entire credit score. Maybe people shouldn't. So you got a job. Awesome. Now keep it. Nasty Gal is not a traditional nine to five company. Everyone here is very passionate about Nasty Gal and believes in what we're doing. We work hard because we're a bunch of hashtag girl bosses and we know that we're working on something that's bigger than just us. If you're looking for a job where you can show up, make no impact on the world and watch a lot of cat videos, this is not the place for you. However, I do know an art school lobby in San Francisco that might be hiring. What is the bigger thing they're accomplishing? Fast fashion? Yeah. Making her rich? The four words, thou shalt never mutter. You want to know four words that I probably hate the most? That's not my job. Nasty Gal is not a place where those four words fly. At the end of the day, we're all here for one reason and one reason only, to make the company succeed. That's not true. This is, I think, the crux. I've gone on this rant before. The crux of these millennial startups is that they believe that they're creating this bigger thing, this higher purpose. It's your business. You are the only one with a higher purpose, and that is the purpose of putting more money in your own wallet. Everyone else is there to just do a job. Like You should want to foster an environment where they do their job well and they have the tools they need to succeed, but you can't expect anyone to be there hoping you make more money. That's insane. I like feel that way all the time. As somebody who has a creative business that is fulfilling my exact desire. I cannot ever imagine hiring an employee and thinking that they would care as much as I would or that they should, that it is their responsibility as an employee to care about my personal pursuit of fulfillment more than like making a living. If you don't have equity in a company, it's insane for them to be like, you're going to kill yourself for my passion. It is like just an insane expectation to have. I have only one passion in this world and that is my little dog bug (laughs) and this podcast And luckily, they've come together this week with Jiminy's, her new favorite treats. (laughs) If you care about the environment and have a dog, consider reducing your dog's carbon paw print with Jiminy's sustainable dog food and treats made from cricket protein. Cricket protein uses less water and land to produce and drastically eliminates greenhouse gas emissions versus traditional animal protein dog food. One bag of Jiminy's cricket protein saves 220 gallons of water versus traditional animal protein treats and not only is it good for the environment but dogs love the taste jiminy's includes delicious nutritious plant-based ingredients like sweet potatoes blueberries peanut butter and pumpkin i honestly considered trying a bite i didn't but i thought about it and if you had dared me to i would have because bug goes goofy for these things you guys know that we are deep in training right now leash walking sitting Someday I'm hoping for a down and the Jiminy's do wonders. She gets so motivated by a little Jiminy's treat. They're also easy to digest because the cricket protein contains a fiber that's prebiotic, which supports your dog's healthy little gut. You guys know that Bug recently found out that she has allergies, so she's been hyper vigilant about her ingredients list and Jiminy's is considered hypoallergenic because it doesn't contain traditional allergy triggering proteins like beef, chicken, fish, and soy. Please check out Jiminy's dog food and treats made with cricket protein, a sustainable superfood that is delicious, nutritious, and easy to digest for dogs. To learn more and save 25% on your first purchase, go to Jiminy's.com slash worm25 and use the code worm25 at checkout. That's Jiminy's, J-I-M-I-N-Y-S dot com slash worm25 with the code worm25. Now that your dogs had all of their fantasies met... <laughs> It's time to think about yourself. Spring fever is in the air and things are heating up, baby. The flowers are blooming. The sun is shining and things are getting spicy with 
Dipsy. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women with scenarios of immersive soundscapes and characters. No matter what you're into, no matter what turns you on, you can find it on Dipsy. Whether you've got a coworker fantasy, an accent fantasy, like a hot British around the corner, hooking up with a yoga teacher. They have a story designed for everything, including your zodiac sign. And I won't even judge if you go by your rising or your regular. There are new stories every single week. So between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always dip into something brand new. Plus, if you're looking to chill out, they have sleep stories, wellness sessions, and written stories if you want to see for yourself. I will tell you what, you guys, diving into the catalog of Dipsy Stories, there is, I'm not going to tell you what I turned on. I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to tell you what story I picked, okay? Because that's between a girl and her app. (laughs) But let me tell you, there is something for everybody. There are some incredible stories to choose from. No matter what mood you're in, uh, Dipsy will get you in into the right one. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash warm. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsy, D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash warm. Dipsystories.com slash warm. So something I'm not horny for, though, is the way (laughs) she treats her employees. So she goes on, she goes, a few years back, our warehouse manager gave us two weeks notice exactly two weeks before Black Friday. On Thanksgiving night, our creative director, merchandisers, girls from the buying team, me and whomever else we were able to round up, headed down there and shuffled around a dusty warehouse until 4 a.m., scanning and reclassifying all of our inventory so we could ensure that people who shopped with us on one of the most important retail days of the year actually got the clothes they ordered. At 2 a.m., as I was counting and recounting bustiers, I did not give a shit whether people were creative or whether they loved fashion. I was just thankful to have employees who were willing, even enthusiastic, to step up and work hard. Okay, so I just want to like paint this picture. So on Thanksgiving, you were having people come in and work till 4 a.m., not doing their job, doing things that you would call beneath your station when you had worked at other places. That you're like, I don't want to do anything beneath me. That's not interesting. You were having them work all these extra hours, and these are the same people who cannot have a fancy chair. Yes. Like, that's the double standard of I expect you to give everything to me in this company to make it succeed. But don't you dare fucking for a second think that you will get anything in return. So once again, that happened two years in a row at this torturous company that I worked for. And they just like expected it. I was like, the fact that you are just expecting people to be in the warehouse over the holidays. When it happened one year, I was like, all right, this sucks. When it happened again the next year, I was like, how are you not prepared for this? This is obscene. Again, getting back to the fundamentally... What would have happened if people had waited till Monday to do that job? People would have gotten their $18 dresses four days later. This isn't life and death. This isn't a hospital in COVID. This is shitty clothing from an e-commerce site. And at the end of the day, when all goes well, the only person who benefits is Sophia. Yeah. Because she doesn't believe anyone else deserves raises ever. God and a promotion is in the details. Be a nice person at work. Okay, great advice. I agree. And she goes, own up to your mistakes and apologize for them. Everyone will make a mistake at some point, And the sooner you can admit you're wrong with yourself, the sooner you can start to fix it. Be honest with yourself about yourself and your abilities. Many people accept titles that are beyond their experience only to later find themselves up to their neck in problems they can't solve and too embarrassed to admit what they weren't qualified in the first place. And what's the first rule about holes? If you're in one, stop digging. I wonder what that has to do with promotions. Her section on how to get a promotion is don't take a job that's above you. 
I don't understand. Okay. Anyway. And then she gets into this chunk called boundaries found. And it's about how your boss is not your friend. And if you're the boss, your employees are not your friends. I learned this the hard way when I was out to dinner one night with someone who used to report to me. She got fired. It was right after I bought the Porsche and I was babbling on about how flashy it was and how, how much of a cheese ball I sometimes feel like driving it. Then don't buy it. No one makes you buy a Porsche. However, instead of listening as a friend, she took this honesty about my insecurities as an opportunity to insult me and said, well, you know, you'd better be careful because people are saying, oh, now I'm doing my job to pay for a Porsche. While I still don't believe anyone but the person I was with had an issue with my auto purchase, it quickly had me bawling into my rosé. Yet it taught me a lesson. While it's okay to be friends with my investor, it's not okay to be friends with my direct reports. If you need someone to listen as you drag your psyche across the coals, find a friend or a therapist, but don't do it with someone you're expected to manage on a daily basis. I will say, I think that person was really looking out for her. When you're working at a company where no one gets raises and everyone's moonlighting in the warehouse and all of a sudden the founder drives in in a Porsche... All insecurities are not equal. You cannot sit there and be like, I was trying to be really vulnerable about my insecurity, about how I was worried it looked like a tool that I bought a Porsche. And somebody was like, yeah, you know, you really should be careful. You do look like a tool. And she she didn't even say that. She said, your employees may start to be resentful, which is good, solid advice and not being mean. She's That's not an insult. That's an actual perspective that was helpful to hear. And I guess she fired her over it. And then to be like, nobody even cared but her. Trust me. She did not pull that statement out of thin air. When the owner of a company seems to be succeeding and nobody else is, the employees take note. Yeah. Driving a flashy Porsche when everybody else is up till 4 a.m. on Thanksgiving and not getting a raise because they haven't proven themselves. Like, people are going to get pissed. People are aware. Okay, and so then she has, you are not a special snowflake. From one speed demon to another, let me be straight with you. Slow your roll. You got a job that's great, but you need to get your hands dirty and spend time proving yourself before you ask for a raise or promotion. This is the problem. You don't get a raise unless you're going five times above and beyond. That's not true. If you are doing the job you were hired to do and doing it well. And learning. And learning. That should be enough. And then she goes, an entry level job is precisely that entry level, which means that you're not going to be running the show or getting to work on the most fun and creative projects. I've heard so many people in their 20s complain about their jobs because they have so much more to offer. But first and foremost, you have to do the job that you're there to do. She literally was saying that at these other jobs, she was working below what she could and she wasn't reaping what she was She was not engaged because it was so easy and boring and she could have done more. And the thing is, I do agree that entry-level jobs suck. You do earn your way up. I like do believe in the democracy of seniority. But at the same time, she is not the person to be giving this message. Yeah. At 22, like started her own company. Especially because if she had worked her way up, she would have understood a lot of the things that ended up ruining her company the idea that a 27 year old is looking at like a 23 year old and going listen you just haven't earned the right to be creative i know you've grown up with your parents telling you that you're special every day for the past 20 years it's okay my parents did too but you still have to show up and work hard just like everybody else if you're a hashtag girl boss you should want to work harder than everybody else so then she gets into a section about teaching you how to fire someone with a quote from none other than one ronald trump sorry donald (laughs) what do you have claire disease I did it on purpose. I think it's funny to not know Donald Trump's name. She has this whole section too about how she used to work at Prada and she hates Prada and she didn't care about it. And she thought it was so obscene to spend this much money on Prada shoes when she was making $12 an hour. And so when she would go take lunch, she would take extra time because she couldn't believe that people would spend so much money on shoes and she could be making so little. And she like was late and got fired for it. And she's like, I am wearing Prada shoes now, but... 
I don't know. I just like that whole story about being like, so you do know what it's like to be not making that much when somebody else is making a ton. And then you just don't care about your job, really. And then she's like, listen, if you ever expect to make more than minimum wage, you better fucking give your life to me. She has this quote about firing somebody and how it sucks, but like you have to do it. And she goes, when you fire someone, it's because someone sucks that you have to do this, not because you suck. If your company has a human resources department, make sure that they're aware of what's going on. If you can write someone up, write someone up. I'm obsessed with this how-to guide on how to fire somebody without getting in trouble. Yeah, I would love for her to have had like a girl boss, a side section from one of the eight months pregnant women that she fired being like, yeah, she is a good firer. And then she has a whole section about what to do if you get fired. And she has a list of like what you should not do if you get fired. Don't sue. She's like, don't sue your employer. Don't complain about your employer. Don't tell anybody what happened. Don't say anything about your experiences. Don't ask for anything. And I'm just like, I'm sure as the girl who's firing people, that's like your dream. When you get fired, say thank you. (laughs) Anyway, so then we have a section called taking care of parentheses, your business, where she talks about her business. I never started a business. I started an eBay store and ended up with a business. There are two kinds of entrepreneurs. They're the ones who start a business because they're educated and choose to. And the ones who do it because it's really the only option. This was never her only option. It was never her only option. She just didn't want to do anything else. And then she gets more into her genius business acumen and the reason that like her way of doing it is right and every other way up until her has been wrong. She talks about incremental potential and how business plans are just a starting point. The best entrepreneurs know to listen along the way and adjust things, including their business plan. She's like, everyone always thinks everything has to be set in stone. Everyone wants a business plan. Everyone wants to look before they leap, but you could just start a business. She talks about who else when people like do all this press before their business starts and how she thinks that's stupid. You should wait to make it before you start doing press. Well, she put out a book before it. <laughs> The company actually worked. (laughs) And then she goes, though, I'm really surprised. It feels good to be the fabled turtle in this scenario rather than the hare. They had 10 years from start to finish. Yeah. Maybe less. And then she has a whole section on investors and how when she lived in San Francisco, she hated venture capitalists. She goes, little did I know they were the reason some of my favorite burrito joints had become extinct. And she thought they were dorks. But then she is a venture capitalist currently. She needed some money. And so she talks about like looking at all these venture capitalists and shopping around. And finally, she picked somebody who didn't ask for any information. She goes, Danny recognized what we were about. He didn't ask us to go through due diligence, a term for digging through the company's receipts and financials. Realizing that I'd never used PowerPoint, Danny also had an associate from his team put together an investment deck for me to present with the partners. Danny did not ask for any info and allowed her to just get away with whatever it was that she was saying and then like made up info for her to present to his own company. When you're investing in a company, you want to make sure that it's good people running it. She talks a lot about how she loves Danny's company because sometimes someone will come to them with a good idea, but they're an asshole and they won't invest in that person because they suck. They want good people like Sophia. Also, she talks about how many of the venture capitalists were assholes and they were very sexist towards her. And she's like, one guy called my COO and asked if I had a, quote, spending problem. When I heard this, I thought to myself, dude, I built a multi-million dollar business out of $50 and no debt. Does it look like I have a spending problem? And when I read that, I was like, yeah, fuck that guy. What, she's online shopping away hundreds of millions of dollars. But then Ashley did look up what happened with this company and it turned out she did have a spending problem. It turns out she did have a spending problem. They like kept on going into bigger and bigger office space that they literally didn't need. They were spending a ton on advertising and we're getting no repeat customers. Which is funny because she says all the success of Nasty Gal was from like word of mouth and repeat customers. Which is just not true, it seems. And then also she says that one of the most important things is scalability. And it does seem like her business was not scalable or she didn't scale it well. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely scalable because other fast fashion companies have done it. Whatever she did didn't, didn't scale. 
And then she has a whole chapter called creativity and everything where she names all the things she's done and like all these photos she took of nuns. Being a great photographer is like the key to Nasty Gal's success. Yeah. And then she's like, actually, most people wouldn't be a creative and a CEO, but I am both because there's like a creative way to be a CEO. And I was like, hmm. Okay. I mean, it does really seem like she skipped right ahead to being a creative director and a stylist at a very big company that she happened to have created. And she had brought someone in on the business side right away. I think it could have stayed successful. Oh, 100%. Like, there's no reason it couldn't have. But it is nothing more than a fast fashion company. Nasty Gal is now at an inflection point where we have to institutionalize the magic, I like to say. That means that everyone's job, to some extent, is to pull out of my head what has made Nasty Gal successful with for the past seven years. Thank God I hire brave people because the inside of my head can be pretty weird sometimes. So this is what I mean in scalable. And it's ironic that it shares a page split with the Leandra Medine section. This whole thing of like Nasty Gal earlier, she talks about the ways it was held back by people living in the past. The fact that Nasty Gal still has to be this representation of her is actually what's not scalable. Like she is not Nasty Gal. Nasty Gal is now bigger than her and she needs to let herself go. It's very difficult. And I get that. It's very difficult. And it's hard. I mean, in seven years, I don't know when you know to like remove yourself. I mean, as somebody who has a creative company, the company is our voice. I wouldn't know when to come in and be like somebody else has to do their voice. Like it is hard. And I think actually yeah. Leandra Medine's downfall was trying to make it bigger than herself. Exactly. So then she goes into creativity and everything. And then she talks about like style and how she's always been stylish. Then she says, despite the fact that I'm wearing YSL platforms as I write this, I've always believed that it shouldn't cost a lot of money to look good. She also wasn't always stylish. She talks about having an Abercrombie phase where she's just wearing a basic Abercrombie outfit. She talks about having a grunge phase. She like went through all of the trends. She also talks about how important it is to look good. And she's like, it may have been sexist to wear makeup in the past, but now we do it because we like it. And then she talks about how Nasty Gal values waist and hips instead of tits and ass because Alexa Chung is not the blueprint. And I was like, okay. Dude, there are so many digs at Alexa Chung. This is like the third memoir we've read that has like a random call out. I would say Paris Hilton too. I don't think this is our first Paris Hilton dig. But can I say something? I know that this is controversial in today's day and age. I don't think Paris Hilton is like a hero. I don't know what Alexa Chung did to anybody to make them so mad. And I also don't know why she was such like a universally revered height of fashion because I don't think she was an A-lister. Do you know what I mean? She wasn't the most popular name, but her own fashion line didn't even make it. But people in Hollywood are all really mad about her. I will say make fun of Paris. I do think it's okay to make fun of Paris Hilton. I think that there are ways to make fun of Paris Hilton and they're like out of pocket hack things to say about Paris Hilton. And this was very hack. Yeah, this was very like unwarranted and jarring. But I will say I'm not going to sit here and defend Paris Hilton as like what society should be more like. Okay, so then it ends with the chances. What are the chances? That's a good question. She talks about how like rare it is to have a successful company. And then here's what it ends on that is the funniest thing I've ever read. I have a tattoo that reads 1%. It's something I got years ago with my ex-boyfriend, but it was our humorous homage to the ideals of the one percenters. In the wake of a bunch of bad press, the American Motorcycle Association once claimed that 99% of its members were regular citizens and only 1% were outlaws. So they got this 1% tattoo in honor of the outlaws. And she goes, currently, the popular meaning of the so-called 1% refers to Wall Street, and that ethos is completely different. This idiomatic shift has become especially ironic for me, but the tattoo hasn't lost any of its significance. Yeah, because now you're the one percent. It is funny. Or you're that close she, to it. I mean, it's just so funny to like get a tattoo and be like, this is because we're outlaws. And she's like, how lucky. Now it's because I'm so rich. <laughs> it ends with bad bitches are taking over the world. When I walk into the Nasty Gal offices, it's clear. Busting your butt isn't for the wallflowers anymore. We've arrived and we're killing it. There's a chance for you, hashtag girl boss, to take it. I don't understand busting your butt isn't just for wallflowers anymore. I don't really understand that line, but Haha, ha, shy girls, shut the fuck up. 
It's hot girls time now. We get to be rich too. Final thoughts on nasty gal girl boss. My, I guess my final thoughts are, this is a lesson in when opportunities present yourself, take them. I think she really needed the money. I don't think she did it. No, she, she didn't, but I think she really needed the personal branding moment of this book. I don't think she's ever needed anything. I think she's everything she's done has been because she's wanted it. And she can say need, but she doesn't need anything. I think she knew Nasty Gal was a sinking ship. And she was like, better get the book out before the news breaks. I guess, do you really think that? I think that for it to have gone completely bankrupt in 2015 how could it have been doing great in 2014 but she only knew 10 percent of that like my question is what do you think she was copping to how honest was she with herself not honest at all okay so I guess my overall thoughts on this book are don't read like pink flashy self-help business books for women that are by people who don't have a real business that's been around for like any amount of time I think that if you like want to read this for a Sophia Amoruso case study, it's actually very interesting. And I think if you want to read it like the this is a used book and there were like parts underlined that were just like the inspirational lines. And I was like, God, I think someone bought this for like business inspiration. (laughs) It made me feel hopeful for where we are right now. I think that there's like a lot more nuance in every single version of a conversation that was like brought forth in this book. Yes. Life is short. Start fucking working. Life is short. Work harder. Yeah. What does she say? Life is short. Don't be lazy. That being said, I just looked at her Instagram and she's about to take a summer long vacation where she eat, pray, loves through Europe. So. Oh, I can't wait to hear about that in the next book. I hope she calls it Eat, Pray, Love. That's a really good title. All right, you guys, on the Patreon this week, we have the breakdown of what went wrong with Nasty Gal and all of these businesses. And then we have LA tickets. We've got the Moment House tickets. I hope to see you guys in like however many hours. I love you. Love you too. Oh, and I love our five-star reviewers. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much to Alma Christiana. I love you all my life. Thank you, Alizzle my nizzle. I appreciate you for shizzle. Thank you, Ryan Reynolds is not that hot. Whatever you say, I agree with wholeheartedly, but... Honestly, especially that. Thank you, Della Hufflepuff, Justice for Hufflepuffs. Thank you, Hannah413. Lucky number 13, baby. Thank you, JBless88. bless you very much. Thank you, Allie S. I hope the S stands for super great review. Thank you, CQ. Uh, queuing this up as my new favorite review. Thank you, Sam Katowski. Keep skiing, baby. Thank you, Pickle Slut. Let me tell you, sour or sweet, you are the absolute pickle king. Thank you, Reviewer 101. You could teach a class in Reviews 101. This is beautiful. Thank you, Lucinda Schaefer. Reading this review didn't chafe any time from my life. It actually added to it because I loved it so much. Thank you, Con1231. I would fall for any con. That you're slinging. Thank you, Nick Knack Patty Quack. You're not a quack to me. You're an inspiration. Thank you, God. These are all my favorite letters. Thank you, Elizabeth Burt. I'll be the Ernie to your Burt. Thank you, Freed Matisse. You are an artist and an inspiration. That's all for this week. I love you guys. See you next week. <laughs>